0: The Earth's atmosphere keeps us safe from the harsh environment of space, but it also obscures our view of the cosmos. No matter how powerful a telescope you build, the turbulence of the atmosphere limits your resolution. But atmospheres and engineers have an amazing technology that allows a telescope to peer into space as if the atmosphere isn't even there, producing images from here on the ground which are as sharp and clear as if the telescope was out in space. It's called adaptive optics. And we're now at the point where the most powerful ground-based telescopes have matched, and even exceeded the capability of space telescopes. Let's start with an amazing photograph now, that brings the capability of adaptive optics into focus. Pun intended. This is a photograph of Neptune, captured by the European Southern Observatory's very large telescope, using its new adaptive optics instrument called MUSE. Now, we'll talk more about adaptive optics and MUSE in a second, But check this out. Compare this with the best image ever taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. Now, the surface features aren't going to match up because they were taken at different times, but wow. And here's a photo of Neptune taken by Voyager 2. Okay, fine. This one is better, but keep in mind that Voyager 2 was only 7 million kilometers away from the planet, while Earth and Hubble based images are more than 600 times farther away. So it's not exactly fair. Let's look at another image, recently released from the European Southern Observatory, zooming in and in on the globular star cluster NGC 6388. This is the field of view captured by the Very Large Telescope's Wide Field Mode. And this is the improvement using MUSE Narrow Field Mode. Again, wow, it's full of stars. Let's talk about adaptive optics. The turbulence of the Earth's atmosphere is a big problem for astronomers, and this is why space telescopes like Hubble were developed. Of course, for all their clarity, space telescopes have their downsides. They are expensive and difficult to maintain and upgrade, and if anything goes wrong, you need to send space walking astronauts to fix them. When a powerful ground based telescope is pointed at an object in space like Neptune, for example, the Earth's atmosphere blurs that object. Now let's go back to that photo of Neptune and show a comparison with and without adaptive optics. What's really happening here is that the image of Neptune is shifting around in the telescope's field of view. If you do a really long exposure, all you get is more blur. You can never resolve your image with pinpoint accuracy. In fact, The most powerful telescopes on Earth have no better spatial resolution than a typical backyard telescope, thanks to the atmosphere. As far back as the 1950s, engineers proposed if you could somehow deform the mirror of a telescope in real time to account for the atmospheric turbulence, you should be able to remove those distortions. In the 1960s and 70s, the US military developed the first adaptive optics system, such as the Starfire Optical Range in New Mexico, and the Advanced Electro-Optical Facility in Hawaii. And they found that they could deform a mirror in just one dimension, and they could sharpen the image seen by their telescopes. Based on these advances, more sensitive adaptive optics were attached to the huge twin Keck Observatories in Hawaii. The European Southern Observatory has been using adaptive optics on their telescopes for almost 20 years now. So here's exactly how they work. Let's say a telescope is looking at a faint galaxy in the sky. Astronomers locate a relatively bright star within about 10 arc seconds of the target. Just to give you an idea of how small that is, one arc second is a dime viewed about two kilometers away. Light from both the guide star and the galaxy pass through the telescope's optics, and a special camera called a wave front sensor measures the guide star's distortions, hundreds or even thousands of times a second. And that's why the guide star has to be bright. If it's too faint, you can't see it changing quickly enough to provide any data. This information is passed along to a computer that calculates the distortions and then sends instructions to a deformable mirror on the telescope. Deformable mirrors are usually a piece of glass that's a few centimeters thick, which has a series of actuators behind it that can be shortened or lengthened. As the waves of light from the telescope strike the mirror, they're corrected in real time to remove the atmospheric distortions and pass along to the telescope's camera system. So what do you do if there isn't a bright star near the object that you want to photograph? For these situations, astronomers create an artificial guide star. They shoot a powerful laser, or lasers, up from the observatory that's tuned to a very specific wavelength of light that causes sodium atoms to glow in a region that's about 100 kilometers in altitude. This glowing region creates an artificial star that's bright enough to serve as a guide star for the astronomers' observations. Now that you understand how Adaptive Optics works in general, I'd like to talk about some of these specific instruments. And I'll get to that in a second, but first, I'd like to thank Stephen Fleetwood, Yord Carwith, Dale Kirkwood, Brian Westcott, Kirk Briggs, Scotty Jones and the rest of our 827 patrons for their generous support. If you love what we're doing, you want to get in on the action, head over to patreon.com universe today. That photo of Neptune I showed you earlier was taken by the European Southern Observatory's MUSE instrument, which stands for the Multi-Unit Spectroscopic Explorer. It's attached to one of the very large telescopes' four 8.4 meter telescopes. Instead of a single guide star, the telescope fires four separate lasers into space, giving MUSE four artificial guide stars to compensate for atmospheric distortion. The original Wide Field Mode was unveiled in the summer of 2017, and allowed astronomers to observe a region of the sky that was about an arc minute across. Now, If you want something that's only about an arc minute, the Saturn Nebula is a great fit. Here's a stunning image that ESO released in September of 2017 showing the Saturn Nebula, also known as NGC 7009. Located about 5,000 light-years from Earth, this was once a star like our Sun that reached the end of its life and expanded into a red giant, throwing its outer layers off into space. This is Wide Field Mode. The big announcement just a few weeks ago is that its Narrow Field Mode is now operational. Just like Wide Field, it uses adaptive optics to remove the turbulence from the atmosphere, but it can show a dramatically smaller piece of the sky. Remember. This is incredibly difficult because you're not likely to get a usable guide star in a smaller field of view. That's why the lasers are so important. This new mode allows the telescope to see a region just 7.5 arc seconds across. And Neptune, if you're wondering, is just 2.4 arc seconds across at its closest, which is why this was one of the targets chosen to celebrate the narrow field mode. It's not just visible light that takes advantage of adaptive optics. The Very Large Telescope is also equipped with an instrument called GRAL, or the Ground Laser Adaptive Optics Module, which allows the telescope to see objects in the infrared spectrum. This is for when you want to see cooler objects like brown dwarfs, newly forming planetary systems and extrasolar planets, again, from the ground. And ESA was planning to release another instrument shortly called ARIS, or the Enhanced Resolution Imager and Spectrograph, which will take its infrared capabilities to the next level. And it's expected to see first light in 2020. Perhaps the most exciting part about this whole announcement is that these adaptive optics suites of instruments on the Very Large Telescope are really just proofs of concept, a way to test out the next level of adaptive optics. For the preparation for the next generation of super telescopes. A larger, more capable version of this technology is going to be attached to the European Southern Observatory's upcoming Extremely Large Telescope, which will measure 39 meters across and gather 15 times more light than any operational telescope today. The Extremely Large Telescope will bounce the light off five separate mirrors, sampling the wavefront of light up to 1,000 times a second and then using 5,000 separate actuators to adjust for the turbulence of the atmosphere. In fact, several instruments attached to the telescope will have their own adaptive optic systems, letting them tune the light. If all goes well, it'll see first light in 2024, and as soon as it does, expect to see those lasers zapping into space. A telescope 39 meters across, with a state of the art adaptive optics system. I can't wait. Similar systems will be attached to the Giant Magellan Telescope and the 30 meter telescope. And I've attached a link to a paper that details precisely how all these next generation adaptive optics systems will work. So if you really want to know the technical details, you should check this out. I really think that we're at a turning point now, where scientists are going to be making enormous advances thanks to both ground and space based observatories. Instead of being trapped under the blanket of the Earth's atmosphere, Astronomers have figured out how to compensate for it. To ignore it. What do you think? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Once a week, I gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter, and I send it out. It's got pictures, brief highlights about the story, and links so you can find out more. I even do a special question show just for the 12,000 subscribers. So go to universetoday.com newsletter to sign up. And all my videos are also available in handy audio and video podcast formats. So you can have our latest episodes show up right on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com slash audio or universetoday.com slash video to get the one you want. And I'll put the links in the show notes. And finally, here's a playlist.